Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast. Andre Sean Galliber as the Knicks with a much needed, desperate win over the Cavaliers at home. A healthy Cavalier team, motivated Donovan Mitchell. Didn't play well last time he went up against Quentin Grimes and the New York Knicks. And the Knicks pull it out. Two point victory. Close game throughout. The Knicks went down in that third quarter. Knicks had a lead in the second quarter, but listen, I said this on Twitter. I need it to be normalized. That we stop calling out blown first half 13-point leads. Stop it. Mike Breen, Hall of Famer. Don't want to say too many bad things about you. But every time the Knicks have a 10-point, 13-point, 8-point, even 15-point lead in the second quarter of a game, please stop referencing it as if it was some some epic collapse. There are plenty of collapses from this team. They don't need you to pour it on. After losing a 13-point second quarter lead, it sounds ridiculous. It really does. Anyway, I'm burying the lead here. I'm just sick and tired of hearing it. An outstanding game from Julius Randle. I'm sitting here trying to find the words because Julius Randle definitely had a part to play in the Knicks losing their second quarter lead. Just not being, just, he was he was on the court. I should say, not in the, not in the second quarter so much. The third quarter, when the Cavs came out, they came out. Hot, they came out strong in that third quarter. And Randall definitely played a part in the offense being stagnant, being predictable. And probably while he finished the game in the minus. You saw a lot of nonsense from Randall in this game. And I tweet about it all the time. It, if you look at my tweets, you you got to get the impression that I'm very anti-Randall. I'm probably anti-Randall about 65% of the time. I acknowledge when Randall is good, and I I acknowledge what he means to the team. But you can't deny some of the things that he does that contributes to the overall culture of the team on the floor. I don't know if that's the best way to put it. Just, Just the rhythm of the team, he disrupts it with his decision-making. Sometimes. And we talked about the double teams. There was a play in this game. God help me. The Knicks get a steal. The ball gets in Randall's hands. They're in transition. It's a transition opportunity. All Randall has to do is hit the one of the guards running up the court, and he refuses to do it. He holds the ball. And then he holds the ball, and he goes into an isolation, and the Knicks don't score on the play. Why wouldn't you push the ball there? Push the ball. What the hell? Who does that? Other teams get turnovers, they, they're off to the races down the court. The Knicks, I'm not saying they do this all the time, but what is what ridiculousness is that? The Knicks didn't have a lead with two minutes to go and they want to run some clock? Nah, they, this, they need to score some points. What are you doing? Double teams and traps that he doesn't pass out of when he needs to at, as often as he needs to. He doesn't make the play as often as he needs to. He's too often outside when he should be inside. And his presence inside in this game turned the game around. Because he cannot be contained in that paint. 
even on plays where the Cavs get stops on him like they did down the stretch, they have to, most teams have to extend themselves down there to stop him without getting a foul call. And most of the time, it's, it's a foul call that's just not called. But that's okay. He has to make his presence known down there. He had a big offensive rebound down the stretch of this game, too. The type of offensive rebounds that other teams get on this team. And you just got to give him credit for the way he turned around the intensity of the game in the third quarter, especially when the Knicks got themselves righted after a timeout. They went on a run, and a lot of that was Julius Randle on both ends of the floor. You know, had, making, making a presence, having a presence physically in the paint, on offense, instead of just hoisting up threes. And he shot very well from three this game, eight for 12. The problem with that process is that you're not always going to shoot well from three. So you, you have to have you have to have the mindset to get in the paint and do what other teams don't want you to do. They don't want Julius Randle down there. They don't want Julius Randle uh, getting their big men in trouble. You having to play with size down there because Julius Randle's in the game. They don't want that. They don't want to play physical. Most teams don't have to deal with a physical presence in the paint. Give it to them, even when you drive. And he's, he did that more this game, too. Drive into the basket. Drive, drive, drive. Get, in, get into the paint. Sometimes get two feet in the paint just off the drive instead of settling for jump shots. And he did that for a good stretch of this game, for stretches of this game. When Julius Randle is not playing with intensity, the team isn't playing with intensity. And he's he's the leader. He is a leader, I should say, when it comes to intensity because he, the ball is in his hands too much. There are too many responsibilities that fall to him, so he can't have these emotional ups and downs because the Knicks will too. He can't have these spots where he's not rotating defensively and he's not making big plays and he's not getting big rebounds. He can't have those spots. He's on the court too much. He's on the court too much. So he has to bring it all the time. And sometimes you see it and sometimes you don't. And there were stretches in this game when he didn't have it and I was killing him and then he turned it on and it turned the game around for the Knicks. It really did. 36 points on the game. Shot a good percentage. Had 13 rebounds, 4 assists. He was 11-21 from the field. 8-12 from 3. He was 6-7 of seven from the line. Just very good numbers across the board. Just very good numbers across the board. Five turnovers, of course. He was a minus 10. And like I said, that I talked about the ebbs and flows with him in the game. That was an example of it right there. That's, that's why he was in the minus. Because he didn't have a minus game. He just needs to be consistent throughout the game. He can't play differently in different times of the game. You just don't have that luxury. And somebody, sometimes you say someone plays differently down a stretch of a game in a clutch. They might do something differently. But that's not what he's doing. He's just essentially being uh, approaching the game poorly in stretches of the game 
on both ends of the floor, and the Knicks suffer, and then he has to turn it around, and luckily this game he did, because RJ had a terrible game on both sides of the floor. Just a terrible game. And there was a call down the stretch, an and one on Garland. It was a great play out of the timeout. Their play out of the timeout was simply get RJ on the perimeter and blow by him with Garland. And that's exactly what happened because RJ's getting blown by by everyone, especially small guards. He got blown by, and it looked like a phantom call, but the truth is RJ put his hand and grabbed Garland's arm. Very subtly, but he did it. And he got called for an and one. And what I hate is I, and I hate this. I hate it. I hate when you hear the whistle and you stop playing defense and you just let the and one happen. Don't let the and one happen. Keep playing. <laughs> you hear the whistle. What are they going to do? Call you for a technical foul? They're not going to call you for anything. Just block the shot. Block the shot. Don't just don't just let it don't just let it happen. Like, what in the world? It was another and one from Garland on a broken play with the Knicks once again couldn't get the long rebound. And I keep telling you, not only do are the Knicks all right? Here's the thing: the guards and perimeter players, they have to help on these long rebounds. They have to come back and get these rebounds. Uh, 100%, 100%, absolutely. Okay, but that's not the only reason why the Knicks aren't securing these boards. It's also because the Knicks are allowing people to tap the ball around in the front court. Okay, guys like Mobley or whoever's in the game, Allen, they're not boxing them out, boxing them out out of the play, or sometimes it's bad luck where they box them out into the play. But these guys are able to just jump up, straight up, and knock the ball and knock them. No one's calling over the back because you're not boxing them out and pushing them backwards. You're just putting a body on them and laying on them. So they're just jumping straight up. They're more athletic than the Knicks. The Knicks are not an incredibly athletic team, especially especially vertically, except for Jericho Sims. And Jericho Sims has poor timing on rebounds. He has poor timing on all of his jumping, quite frankly. But Jericho Sims wasn't in the game, and you can't exactly describe Jericho Sims as a great rebounder. He's just a great leaper, right? So the Knicks don't box out. They don't push backwards. And when they do push backwards, they have a little bit of bad luck because the ball ends up landing right in the hands of, of the box out, of the guy who's being boxed out. At other times, they just lay their body on them, and these guys just jump straight up and knock the ball around. That's just a lack of athleticism, a lack of height sometimes. The perimeter players are often kind of small. So there are aspects of those rebounds that's bad luck. There are aspects of that re- of those rebounds that fall on the front court players. And there are aspects of those rebounds that fall on the fact that R.J. Barrett doesn't chase down rebounds. <laughs> and that's a long-winded way of coming to that point. He is a watcher, and he is maddening. And he was watching on defense. He's stuck in mud, stuck in mud all the time. He's a hedge and never recover player right now. He doesn't rotate. He doesn't chase the ball around the court. I shouldn't say chase the ball around the court. That's not the best way to describe it. He's not chasing rotations. He's not scrambling defensively. That's what I want to say. Not scrambling defensively. He's he's very lazy on these rotations. 
And this film on rotations where IQ is rotating to multiple players and RJ just stays in the paint and stays with, you know, and, and he's not the only one. Randall does it too. Randall will hang around and watch a shot go up instead of scrambling to the next pass. There was a play where Okoro had a wide open corner three and Brunson ran out to him and Okoro passed it to Donovan Mitchell for a wide open shot. And on that play, what was pointed out on the broadcast was that Brunson chose wrong. He went to Okoro instead of going to Mitchell or staying with Mitchell. And that was true, but it's not like Okoro can't hit that shot, by the way. He's a corner three. He definitely can't hit it. He's not a great shooter. So if you had some defensive recognition, you would not leave Mitchell to go to Okoro. But with the amount of time it took for Okoro to catch that ball... Look at the rim because he was wide open and then Brunson to run at him last minute. Somebody should have ran at Donovan Mitchell, but no one did. They just all stood there and watched. And it's inexcusable. It really is. And RJ is, is definitely guilty of that. He's doing it way too often. Just standing around watching. Just not playing with, with any intensity, with any quick decisions defensively. No anticipation at all. Just really a lazy brand of defense. And on offense, there were plenty of times in that in that game, that third quarter especially, where he screwed off entire possessions trying to attack a mismatch that really wasn't a mismatch. It didn't look good out there at all. RJ surprises me. He doesn't always play poorly against big, strong defenders. But you would think that he would struggle more often against those guys because of what his game is. But the, the Cavs just kind of played him well. They played him to angles. They put him in tough spots. And he was having a hard time making quick decisions. He was really trying to ISO more than he was attacking from the weak side. A lot of times he attacks from the weak side uh, very quickly. He makes quick decisions and kind of catches teams off balance and is able to get himself two feet in the paint. And he's been, even though he's one of the worst floater percentage shooters in the league, I think a lot of that comes from earlier in the season. He's been very good the last 20 or so games uh, in, in all aspects of his offense. But last night, he just didn't look good out there. He looked like an easy guard. He finished with 16 points, four rebounds, one assist, one steal, one block, five of 12 from the field. He hit his threes again. Once again, it's an old story in RJ in three-point shooting. He's been very good for a good bit of the season now. Made his free throws, but on the game... He was a plus minus of zero. And I want to say that that's happenstance. <laughs> that was happenstance for sure. I think he was I think he was probably on the court when the Knicks went on a run in the second quarter and built a lead and was probably, and I'll go back and watch the game, he was probably on the court when the Knicks lost the lead too. It probably evened out. And when he came back into the game in the fourth quarter, they were kind of going back and forth. Uh, both teams were kind of going back and forth at that point. And I want to point something out. In the third quarter, the Knicks were not playing well to start that quarter. The Cavs were on a run. They were dancing around, having a good time. You're seeing a lot of teams do that against the Knicks, which is maddening when I see it. Because that means they're just playing with a lot of confidence. They know that they can get whatever they want. I hate I hate seeing that, and I get, I think I hope the Knicks hate seeing it too. I don't know if they do see it, but 
I hope they have enough pride to see it. And they came out after a timeout, and they really turned turn the game around on both, both ends of the floor. RJ had not been playing good basketball on either end of the floor. There were there was a play that I saw someone call out on Twitter where where RJ or it seemed like Randall was very annoyed at RJ not kicking the ball out to him. There was definitely a play at some point in the game where RJ attracted two defenders and had Jericho Sims open in the middle of the lane and and just didn't pass him the ball. I don't know if he didn't see him or what. The Knicks are just not a good passing team. They weren't a good passing team last year either. RJ, I feel like RJ is a selfish offensive player. He puts his head down. So he's, I think he's, I think he can be a selfish offensive player. He will ignore passes. I think RJ and Randall, and this is not breaking new ground. I just don't think they, they don't play well with each other. But I don't blame that on either one of them. Uh, I shouldn't say it like that. I blame that. I blame that on both of them. <laughs> it's what I want to say, because both of them don't play well off of other people. Because Julius likes to hold the ball, and we talked about that ad nauseum. And RJ likes to hold the ball too. And I think there's too much your turn, my turn in this offense in general. And because the offense is seeing a lot more Randall recently, especially during this losing streak, RJ gets left out in the cold. He gets left out in the cold when Brunson has it going, and he gets left out in the cold when Randall has it going because RJ does not hold the ball typically. And that's something that he was doing today, and it was it was a bad look for him all the way around. It was a bad look for him all the way around. But RJ is very selfish on his drives. You've seen a little bit of improvement there. He doesn't force his shots up quite as much as he used to, but he will still keep the ball on two defenders and put up a shot instead of making the nice the, the open pass. And there was a play where he passed on Julius, and Julius was not happy at all that he passed on him. On top of the fact that the Knicks were getting run through defensively and RJ was a big part of that, you cannot convince me in a million years that midway through the third quarter, when the Knicks had been struggling, Tibbs called a timeout, came out of timeout, RJ got a shot, nailed it. On the defensive end, Julius Randle did that whole pretending to be playing great defense, being real active hands, bumping his body, bumping his body, swinging his hands around, and then reaches in and gets a foul call like he almost always does. And I'm thinking this is just typical Julius Randle being silly, pretending to play defense. But he didn't argue. He looked at the replay and shook his head and was like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, I fouled. At the same time he started doing that, IQ had gotten called off the bench. And IQ runs past him to the scorer's table, and Julius Randle then reaches in and gets this foul call on Kevin Love. You cannot convince me in a million years that Julius Randle did not take that foul to get RJ out of the game. You cannot convince me. I'm telling you, go look it up. Third quarter, 
First substitution was quickly. It wasn't too long after the timeout. I promise you. He saw IQ coming off the bench and fouled Kevin Love to get RJ out of the game. You can't convince me otherwise. Can't. Cannot. And it might be a problem going forward because RJ just didn't look like he was in the game mentally today in general. And when he sat down on that bench, he did not look happy. He looked very disappointed when he sat down on that bench. Now, it was his normal substitution pattern, but he didn't sit down on that bench like, oh, okay, you know, um, get my rest. No, he sat down on that bench looking a little dismayed, a little annoyed. Can't convince me Julius did not try to get him out of that game. And, but you know what? In fairness, the Knicks played well. They played very well. For the rest of that quarter, Julius... Finished that quarter in a flurry. Hit a three right at the buzzer. Was pumping up the crowd after the quarter. He was into it. Quickly was making plays defensively. Just his energy. Just his effect. It's been the same thing all year. It's it's measured in the numbers. And his net rating. His effect on the team. It changes everything. He rebounds. He's, he rotates, he gets into defender, and he gets into offensive players. He can test shots. He just has a positive effect on the team on the floor. It just does. And it's all in his energy and intensity and activity defensively, along with his actual abilities. And you're not seeing some of those basic things from RJ sometimes. Combine that with the fact that RJ can be selfish sometimes. That means the offense the offense in the second with the second unit isn't always good because RJ isn't always making plays for everyone. He's not always fitting in with everyone. Even if you're the main person who's gonna get the shots, just because the ball's in your hands doesn't mean you got to shoot it. But in fairness the second the second unit came through today. Hardenstein has been catching a lot of heat lately. He's been all over the place in trade rumors. Not all over the place, but he's been he's been rumored to go to <clears throat> the Clippers, the team that I suggested he get traded back to back in December. I'm pretty sure I was the first person in the universe to suggest that trade. Hardenstein has been playing better the last few games I don't know if that's him understanding he needs to step up or or if that's him wanting to get traded back to the Clippers I'm not sure because the Knicks clearly do not use him for what he does well you did see I think maybe one play where Jalen Brunson and Randall did screen and roll with Hardenstein sitting in the corner uh, as opposed to doing screens just to get Randall the ball in isolation, they actually did a screen and spread the floor like they were going to actually do something in the paint there. You don't see that often enough. Not that Hartenstein is out there, Tom Chambers shooting threes consistently. That was a really, really obscure reference for most of the audience. Tom Chambers. Tom Chambers was a nasty... 
forward slash big man back in the 80s who could shoot it, drive it. He would fit into the league very well today, even though people try to pretend like players back then couldn't do anything. Bottom line, you saw a little bit of Hardenstein at the high, at the top of the key, throwing a backdoor pass to McBride. You don't see that every day. Don't see that every day. That's in his skill set, but he's never put in position to make those plays. If I'm Hardenstein, I enjoy playing for this team. I enjoy being in New York. I'm glad the Knicks gave me this contract, but I'd much rather be on a team that knows how to run offense through me, at least for you know three to five plays a game. He's only going to play 15, 20 minutes. Three to five plays a game. Let him at least have some options in out of the high post as a passer. Instead of just making him a screen. Listen, I talked about it at nauseum. But he's been playing very well. I just don't know if he's trying to play his way out of town or not. But he's been playing much better after people were calling for him to get benched and people were calling for him to get cut. You know, you know how Nick fans are being ridiculous. He's definitely responded and has played better. And he was very important in this game. The way he played down the stretch, the plays that he made. He made a play at the end of the game. Again, it was very promising to see some of the defensive adjustments that were made by the Knicks in this game. Donovan started cooking IQ. He wanted IQ matchup. I don't know if him and IQ were talking trash. He had a lot to say to IQ after he scored him a couple times. It was obvious that wasn't a matchup that was going to work for us. Instead of trying to go down, go down with that matchup that the Cavs were hunting, even though IQ is a great defensive player, the Knicks called a blitz on Donovan after he got that switch and should have got the steal out of it, knocked the ball away from him, and then put the Cavs in scramble mode and they don't score in their possession. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I've been talking about. Throw a wrinkle defensively at these teams when they start getting a rhythm for what you're trying to do. Don't go down with the ship. Give them a different look. And that's what the Knicks did. They blitzed him a couple times down the stretch when he started getting hot. And he made them make other plays. Made them make other plays. And it changed the game. It really did. Because who's to say that Donovan Wins are going to continue to make shots on IQ? It's not like you haven't seen him do it before. You made him make other plays. You put the ball in other people's hands. You made him, you made tough shots go up. And the Knicks would have, if the Knicks were able to secure a defensive rebound or two, they might have won this game by four to six points. Because of the wrinkle you threw at them. And on that last possession, and this is back to iHeart, there were plenty of opportunities for Randall to switch on Donovan, and he didn't do it. So there was no reason for the Cavs to think that Randall was going to switch on to him. And I think Randall is a, is a pretty good isolation player on the perimeter, even on smaller guys. And Randall switches, again, a wrinkle, something the Knicks had not been doing, something that Randall's been calling for. He, I, we talked about this in his post-game comments that he had a few weeks ago when the Knicks were playing well. And Randall switched out on some small, smaller players down the stretch of a game, made some plays, and he had been saying that he's been he's been politicking to get that opportunity more often, and, and Tibbs would kind of shake him off. And again, that shade to Tibbs because I could take you back to the Hawks series two years ago when Randall was switching on to Trey Young and played him well. 
but the Knicks still refused to do it consistently. They only did it by happenstance. And then in the very next season, you hardly ever saw Randall switch on to smaller players, even though the smaller players were cook and drop coverage. Randall could have could have at least could have at least slowed that down, even for a possession or two. And the Knicks never went to it. You saw them go to it down the stretch here. Now, in fairness, Donovan did blow by. He did blow by Julius Randle, but hear me out. Hear me out. Donovan wants the jumper there. That's what he wants. He wants the jumper. And what you saw Julius do is you saw Julius sit on his left hand, and you saw him talk about this after the game. He said, the scouting report told us what he likes to do in those situations. It's my guess. Most shooters like to shoot going left. Like They like to shoot from the left hand, move it to the right, and go up. You know, move left hand dribble, put the right hand on the ball to shoot. They're not as comfortable shooting from the right dribble, right hand dribble into the shot. Not to say they can't do it. You're playing the percentages here. And you saw, you saw Julius was playing his left hand, playing his left side, and giving him the right. And essentially giving him the drive without giving him the jumper. So, yes, he got blown by, but he went right to the help. And that's where Hartenstein was. And give Hartenstein credit. He was sitting right there in front of the rim. He jumped straight up. It could have been called a foul. It wasn't a foul, but it could have been called a foul, especially with the Knicks' luck. And he makes a tremendous play down the stretch. So, again, yes, Randall got blown by, but he ushered him to the help. And he took away the shot that Donovan wanted which was the jumper. He didn't want to go into the paint because going into the paint down the stretch, and I understand this might be a little contradictory to what I typically say about the Knicks having to go into the paint in general, but going down the, going into the paint down the stretch of a game is, is kind of harrowing. You don't know if you're going to get a whistle or not. They're not always blowing the whistle, right? So there was help right there at the front of the rim, Donovan did not drop the pass off. If he did drop the pass off, he probably would have won the game because Jared Allen would have would have finished in the paint because he'd been finishing on the paint the whole entire game, especially on drop-off passes. Hartenstein made a tremendous play down the stretch there, and that's not a play. I don't know if Jericho makes that play. Jericho might not jump straight up. He might bring his arms down. You know, if he jumps straight up, then Jericho makes the play, sure. But if he if he brings his arms down, then it's a whistle and because because it's Jericho, you might get a whistle just because he doesn't have the respect of the referees. You know? And because it's Jericho, he might have jumped too soon. Because Jericho has that habit of jumping too early on plays. But unfortunately on that play, Donovan landed awkwardly. And to his credit, with a lot of heart, he grabbed that ball off the block and kicked it out to a teammate who was able to get a shot up. And of course, it didn't go in. But he was sitting there and his leg looked kind of dead underneath him. I watched the replay several times. When he landed, he landed awkwardly on the leg. And the leg never really moved even when he was scrambling to grab the ball and get it out of his hands. So, you know, I hope you know, I hope he's okay. You know, you never want to see anybody get hurt. He's a local kid. He actually, He's actually from a town that I lived in for a, a few years so, you know, I want him to do I want him to do well in general and of course just if anyone gets hurt, you know, you do you wish you wish for the best. 
You know, but back to the Knicks, Hardenstein with the great play down the stretch. And every time guys on the Knicks start playing well, I'm just I'm this is this is my issue. Once the guy starts playing well, I'm like, well, this is what this is what the team needs. If you want to do that, then maybe you don't need to get traded. <laughs> do that. If you do that, the Knicks are good. If you don't do that, they're not good. Get out. But with the amount of money he makes and with the development of Jericho Sims, the Knicks are better off with Jericho Sims trying to figure out how to play professional basketball and do some of the, the things that good iHeart does when he's really playing well. Learn how to do those things. Learn how to learn from your mistakes and develop Jericho Sims in that spot and trade iHeart for something else that you might need. Or something you might need going forward. Because the benefit that iHeart is giving you game to game. I mean, he's going to have a good game here and a good game there. But game to game, the benefit is not necessarily better than what you're getting from Jericho. It's just not. And even if you thought it was, it's not significantly better. And what you get for iHeart might make you better at a different position. To make up for it. And then some. So. I'm all for the iHeart trade. Whatever the trade is. You're probably not going to see anything for a couple weeks. We're going to do a trade show. We're going to go over some of the. The rumors that have been bouncing around. And what would be good for the team. And what wouldn't be. But this was a real good win for the team. It really was. There's not going to be too many wins on the schedule. In this little stretch here. The Knicks had Toronto. They had. The Hawks, they had Toronto again. All three games, games they could win. I'd say, in theory, it could have at least they should have at least taken one game in that stretch. Worst case scenario, they lost all three. All three. So getting this win at the Garden, especially since they played so terribly there, Jalen Brunson did not play well. I think that was more... I think that there's two things with Jalen Brunson not playing well, and you're starting to see this floating around on Twitter. When you put size on Jalen, this is this is the talk. When you put size on Jalen, he's less effective. Now, in theory, that would be true, but that has not been true for most of the season. So it's a little bit of convenient analysis because he hasn't been great in this last stretch of games, and they put length on him. This is a little bit of a, of a convenient analysis because they've put length on him throughout the entire season, and he was lighting people up. I think what teams are doing is they're putting length on him and then they're backing it up by keeping someone in front of the rim. So they're almost almost building a wall around Jalen when he gets into the paint or gets near the paint. And that's really what it is. It's not just one person's length. It's not the primary defender's length. It's the fact that they're putting length all around him. So they're blocking passing lanes on top of contesting the shots. Right? Now... In fairness, he's also been scouted, right? So you're seeing a lot of sitting on his floaters. You're seeing a lot of not falling for pump fakes. You're seeing a lot of that. So, of course, it's going to affect his efficiency. But I think this is more a result of the walls that are going around Jalen when he gets into the paint. And he needs to adjust to it. He needs to find open people a little bit better. And you saw him make a couple decent passes and when those passes are made guys have to 
They have to make something happen. It's not always going to be a pass or a shot. It's going to be a pass sometimes to a closeout, and you got to make something happen. You got to attack that closeout, and you got to make something happen on the second level. You can't just be catch the ball and hold it or catch the ball and hoist up a shot, even though it's contested. Making the defense rotate, getting the defense out, out of position, and then you taking advantage of that when the ball finds you, that's NBA offense. So if the teams are building a wall around Jalen when he gets into that paint and he gets the ball out and he makes the right pass, which he's not doing every time, but when he does it, now it's up to everyone else to play off of that and not just waste the pass so you can turn it into an ISO. So I just, the one thing I would say about this Nick team is with all of their failings and, and all the things they do wrong on both ends of the floor, they stay in a lot of these games. And if you look, there was a list of all the Knicks losses before this this uh, losing streak. There was a list of all of the Knicks losses, and they were all within 10 points. It was, a lot of them were in six within 6 points, 7 points, 3 points, 2 points which exacerbates a lot of their end-of-the-game issues, which we all know of, about, but it also points to the fact that this team is not always playing well and not always playing smart, but they're, they're often in these games. So if they're able to figure out how to end, how to win these games at the end, then maybe it'll offset some of the issues that they have throughout the game. Because I don't know if those issues are going to change. Because their offensive structure is their offensive structure. You're not going to see any huge changes. You might see some little subtle changes. And that might be all they need. Because you see subtle changes throughout the game. I don't think they're schematic. I think they're just personal choice from the players. Let's Let me, like Randall, let me stop throwing up these contested threes and go to the basket. Let me hit the offensive boards. Like RJ, let me... Let me kick out when I drive instead of forcing forcing this shot. You know, so I thought this was a promising victory, not in that the Knicks played so great. I thought it was a promising victory because of the defensive adjustments they made down the stretch, which I think was a huge or is a huge flaw of the coaching staff and something that's keeping them from winning these close games. I tell you what, you also saw McBride have a different attitude offensively. And I pointed out a few games ago when he waved off IQ so he can call a screen from Sims and turn that into an alley-oop. You're seeing him be a little bit more aggressive offensively when he gets the ball in his hands. And I think that's promising. You're going to see a little bit, uh, what he's made of because I understand he hasn't been playing tremendously but offensively but you can't you can't have a guy out there for 10-15 minutes and, and say he can't do this and he can't do that you're not really giving him an opportunity no he's not a knockdown shooter right now he's not he's not Kispert he's not Struess he's not that guy the guy is going to come in and he's going to hit the one or two shots. He's going to hit one or two of the shots that you give him. He's not that guy. But he's clearly an on-the-ball player that you have playing off the ball. In an offense that doesn't share the ball very well, as we established a few games ago, where they are on their assist totals or assist averages per game. 
and you're expecting him to create his own offense every time he gets the ball, every time he gets in the game. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not fair. It's not the type of player he is. But the one thing he can do is he can attack closeouts and he can attack from the weak side. He can do a lot of that stuff. And seeing him turn the corner and maybe do it a little bit more often is promising. But again, in fairness, he is a backup point guard. And he's a a relatively small point guard. He's not really small. He looks small. He's listed over six foot, but... It doesn't really seem like he is. Right? And teams attack him like he's a small guard. So at the end of the day, he's a small guard and people are going to attack you like you're a one. He's a good defensive player. He's good getting around the screens, even though he hasn't been quite as good the last few games. I think maybe fatigue is starting to play a factor, even though he doesn't play a lot of minutes. He's getting beat up out there being on bigger players all the time. And he's scrambling around on defense a lot. But you're seeing teams attack him for his size. They're attacking him with bigger players. They're shooting, trying to shoot over him. He's a backup point guard who is often playing with IQ, who is also a backup point guard. So they're they're constantly getting matched up with bigger guards, at least one of them. And IQ can survive that because of the defensive player he is. There's a little bit more length to him, a little bit more height to him, a little bit more strength to him. McBride, not so much. Yeah, and and again, on offense, he's playing off the ball a lot. He's an on-the-ball backup point guard at best right now in this league, and that's not where he's playing. And this is his first meaningful stretch of games in the league. So some of the conclusions that some of you are coming to is a little bit unfair. He's not, he's not being put in position to succeed consistently enough to come to a negative conclusion about him, especially in the face of him being a part of one of the best defensive five-man lineups in the league. A stat that was released recently, I think the Knicks were, I think they were fourth on that list, and the lineup was McBride, IQ, Grimes, Mitchell, and Randall. And this was in the league. In the league. He's a part of it. So give the kid a little bail. Give him an opportunity to grow into the role he's playing in. And going forward, maybe actually play the role that he was meant to play. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's in the cards on this team, but you don't know what this team is going to look like in, in the future. So who knows? But good win for the Knicks. You got Boston coming up next. Once again, one of the best teams in the league. Boston only loses to Orlando now. So, I just... Knicks don't have good matches. They played Boston well, even though Boston hit all those threes. They're still in that game. It was a different time. (laughs) A different time for the Knicks. So, who knows what it's going to look like now. They have a good coaching staff. They have good defensive players. They're going to mirror some of the success that they saw other teams like Toronto and Atlanta have against the Knicks, especially against Brunson. I just, I I don't see it. Even if it's a close game, I don't see it. I don't see it. And then they have the Nets later on in the week. You know, that's going to be, that's going to be hit or miss. Who knows what that's going to be. We'll be back before then, hopefully, talking about this Boston game. If it's a win, you know I'm going to be on. You know it. If they get blown out, uh, 
Nah, I wouldn't do you like that. We're going to be any, on anyway. We'll do some of this trade talk, I think. Really dive into some, some opportunities that might be out there. But good win for the Knicks. Don't forget to check out SportsEthos.com. Follow at SportsEthos on Twitter. Follow at EthosKnicks. Until next time.